Hey, everybody. Shane Presley here, Rock Paper Podcast. Thank you so much for checking out another episode of the show. Today's features singer, songwriter, guitarist, author, and all-around nice guy, Tom Donovan. Caught up with Tom uh, over Zoom the other day to talking about his uh, brand new book he just wrote and uh, some of his music, some of his life journey. I uh, grew up here in St. Charles, Missouri area, but now living in Nashville. And uh, we'll get into his story. Had a great time hanging with him, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, he has a big uh, book signing this weekend on Saturday, the November 18th in St. Charles, Missouri at Main Street Books. So come on by 1 to 3 and pick up a copy of his book, The Twin Affair. And um, be sure to follow along with him, TomDonovan.com, Facebook and Instagram for more info. Big thanks again, as always, to my friends at Friendship Brewing Company in Wentzville, Missouri, for all their support. Serving up all your craft beer needs, over 25 rotating taps out there. And uh, I'm sure they have a beverage for you. Uh, you can uh, get some to go. They've got uh, little packs of cans to go. You take the party wherever you go. Um, or you can come by and have a good time. Enjoy a beverage. Grab some dinner. You got your burgers, nachos, flatbread pizzas, pretzels, and all kinds of tasty eats out there. And uh, you can get some uh, great live music while you're at it. Uh, and over the summer, they recently opened their brand new Fly High location in Flint Hill, Missouri, and uh, serving up the same great beers, but uh, all new dining experience out there called the Fly High Kitchen. So come by, check out the Fly High location, and also gearing up to open up another location in Hannibal, Missouri. So big things happening for Friendship Brewing Company. Um, so you can get some live music happening at their Fly High location this weekend on Friday, November 17th. Michael Marciano. Saturday, November 18th, Andy Tucker. And on Saturday, November 18th, Buddy Inthwistle will be at the Wentzville location. You can find full details on these concerts, uh, food menu, beer menu, and everything else at friendshipbrewingcompany.com. Be sure to plug in with them again on your Facebook and Instagram for more info. And uh, keep an eye out for some more fun events happening out at Friendship Brewing Company. Uh, If you need anything from me, you can always find me at rockpaperpodcast.com. Hit me up on the socials. Email me, rockpaperpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you all. And uh, with that out of the way, sit back, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode with Tom Donovan. Um, the podcast is kind of like a, it's like a radio show that's not on the radio. It's on, it's on the internet. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds so like my mom. Uh, it makes it sound more confusing, doesn't it? Uh, it sounds like this.
Hi, this is Tom Donovan, and you're listening to Rock Paper Podcast. Rock Paper Podcast. This is Beat Paper, paper covers rock. Rock beats is the shame, covers nonstop, never know what. New kind of guests that he's got coming at you. Live and direct on the spot, could be rock, folk, country, or hip-hop, jazz. All kind of folks that he has, could be an artist or a comedian to make you laugh on the Rock Paper Podcast. Double-decker fudge round, rolling round town. Shane coming at you live and direct from ground zero. He's your hero, he's your bestie. Rock Paper Podcast with Shane Presley. Hey, everybody, Shane Presley here, Rock Paper Podcast, coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri, hanging out via Zoom with Tom Donovan. Welcome to the show, Tom. How's it going? Good, man. This is uh, very cool. You, uh, well, you're at your home in Nashville? Nashville, Tennessee, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, I love it down there. I, I I don't get there as often as I'd like, but uh, always a good time when I'm down in Nashville. I love Nashville. I've been here um, for 13 years, and um, it feels like home. Yeah. Um, my son was born here, so um, yeah, we have some have some roots here now. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I, we uh, maybe. I don't know, several years ago, but there was uh we took a trip down there. It was like uh this Capitol Records block party thing. And uh it was um it was like a free street party put on by the record company, obviously. And then they uh we got down, I was like got down there early, got my spot, and uh it was like Alan Jackson, Eric Church, Eric Pasley, and John Party opened up the show. And, uh, oh, wow. and I was like, that sounds, that's you know, for free. Like that's a, that's a hell of a show. So it was a lot of fun and we had a good time in Nashville that time. And then, uh, that's usually what the case when I drive down is just for a good show. And, uh, I went to one not too long ago, me and a couple of buddies jumped in the car and drove down for, uh, it was like a canary ballroom, I think, or something, something oh, like the that. cannery ballroom. Cannery yeah. Ball, yeah. 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 We went we went there to see uh Rival Sons and Tyler Bryan and the Shakedown. Cool. And that was another uh, good rock and roll show. And so it's there's always a lot I, of entertainment down there, that's for sure. I I wrote songs with Tyler when I first moved to Nashville. Oh, very cool. Um and he had just come to town. I mean, he was super young. Um I, he may have even still been in high school. Um, but his, they had him set up in an apartment here in town and the publisher that I was writing for at the time, uh, I had a few co-writes with him. Yeah. Um, but you know, even at that young in high school, he was already really incredible. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been you know, just following him pretty when he was pretty young, pretty early on. So yeah, yeah probably around that I same mean, era. I mean, he was already playing gigs with Jeff Beck. Yeah. Um, and ZZ Top and John Mayer. And I mean, yeah, I think he was 15 years old or something. So it was pretty crazy. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, it's crazy, crazy to think about that. Uh, but, uh, having, uh, having Graham Whitford as a good friend, that's, uh, you know, that's a good start too, for sure. 
Yeah, and Graham's brother plays with Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. So, and obviously we all know who his father is. Yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah, those guys, uh, those guys rule, man. I, I remember seeing them one night in uh, in St. Louis here too at uh, Gramophone. I think like I think they had to bump the date because they end up getting booked on Jimmy Kimmel live, and uh, okay. but they, but they came back and played Gramophone, and it was like one of the coolest things, like just to see them in a small club like that, and then like uh, I remember Caleb like jumped off the stage and like was playing drums on the like took his drumsticks and was playing drums like on everything, like all the bar yeah. stools and the floor and all this stuff and i don't know it was it was a neat show yeah but uh but yeah man so nashville's home now but uh before yeah. before that uh st louis uh and st charles missouri area was was home right that's where you grew yeah up, grew up most of the time yeah yeah i was born in st louis but i grew up in st charles um went to grade school and high school in st charles and college i graduated from lindenwood Nice. Yeah. Um, my mom went to Lindenwood. Um, I don't know. I have a lot of, uh, it was, I was pretty young. Uh, I don't know what, what year it was, but I mean, uh, I think it's pretty crazy that she managed to, uh, she was working at McDonald Douglas at the time, mm-hmm. uh, raising two boys, uh, with my dad, of course too. And, but, uh, raising two kids and put herself through college. And I was like, you know, it's, it's, I, I look at it now, like as an adult and I'm like, I don't know how she did it. I'm, it's, I'm glad she did it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So yeah. St. Charles, I mean, St. Charles was home. Um, and, but then, you know, once we were old enough to get out and drive ourselves around, of course, we were hanging out in the city. Um, and my friends and I, we all played in bands. Right. So that's all we did is we would just, we would play shows or we would go see each other's shows. Um, and then we were going downtown and um, watching shows at Mississippi nights or the Kennedys like back when those clubs were still around. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was always just an incredible music scene in St. Louis and it's all we wanted. It's literally all we did is we either rehearsed in a basement or we played shows or we would go out to shows. and you know, growing up in St. Charles, there wasn't a whole lot to do. Right. But thankfully, I mean, there was such a, a vibrant music scene in St. Louis. Um, and then, you know, there was just the pull to the city, grow, growing up in the suburbs. And the, the city was just different and it was exciting. Um, so we'd hang out down on Del Mar. Um, I mean, that's really the main place we would go and, and hang out down in the loop. Um, but a lot of the, the shows uh, were down on the landing, right? Which is really sad to see what it's like now. Yeah, um, very, very because different. those were those were incredible venues. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I've talked about a bunch, but like, uh, I missed out on uh, like the uh, you know, that whole Mississippi Nights era and stuff. Like, um, I didn't really have like anybody in my life uh you know an older brother or mm-hmm. her cousin or somebody that was like taking taking me to shows younger so it wasn't until like uh you know really like after high school when i started really like going to a lot more shows on my own um but uh so yeah i missed out I, but you know, so i graduated 2003 
from high school. So okay. like, you know, like I think uh, Mississippi Nights closed like 05 or something like that, maybe oh, somewhere in there. So uh, Yeah, I mean, around there because LaPush played there a few times and I can't remember if the last time we played there was 05 or 04. But it was, a, it was, yeah, it wasn't too long after that, that it closed. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I remember hearing story, you know, I've obviously have had a bunch of the bunch of our friends on the show over the years mm-hmm. doing this podcast and a lot of great stories about bands, uh, playing there, you know, from the urge and, uh, you know, uh, all the, you know, in the locally. And then of course of all, all the other bands that got their start early on playing there, you know, and, uh, so it was fun to hear that the legacy, yeah. I guess, even though like, and now it's like, uh, there's a nice book, uh, uh, Garrett Enlow wrote a nice book about it all. And so, uh, I, yeah, I bought it. I yeah. bought it. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, so my band in high school opened for the urge. Yeah. And um, they were, so that was the Mississippi night. I don't think they had a record deal yet, but th- they were already selling out Mississippi nights. Mm-hmm. So like that was, that was a big deal at the time. That was kind of the pinnacle. If you could get a gig at Mississippi nights and especially if you could either open for the urge or pale divine. Yeah. Those were the, and fragile porcelain mice. Those were the bands to, to try to get on those bills because they always sold it out. Mm-hmm. And it was wild. I mean, being a kid and and walking on that stage and there's a thousand people in front of you, you know, and you're used to being in the crowd. Right. Like, so I'd, I'd never seen it from that perspective before, you know, because we were playing clubs, like smaller clubs, but you know, maybe a few hundred people. The good thing about having a band in high school is everybody comes out to the show. Sure. Yeah. So they were always packed and we were friends with all the other high schools around St. Charles. And so you would, you know, have three or four different high schools, all these kids from three or four different high schools coming out to your show. So like you just had this massive crowd built in, Yeah. but it was nothing like playing at Mississippi nights in front of a thousand people. I mean, that was just, it was surreal. I couldn't believe it. I, you know? Yeah. I, I think back a lot about, um, I had some buddies. I mean, really that's how I even started doing the show i had friends at high school bands that went on to start playing a lot of original music and um started going supporting them at shows uh mm-hmm. for, you know down to pops and different stuff and but you know that's kind of where this the kind of the all started for me as a fan of music and then starting to want to talk about music and um but uh i remember like it was just exciting that your friends were doing something cool like that, like in the band. And like, we would, we'd pack out, uh, they had out here in Wentzville, the, uh, the Midwest music pit. And we, they, you know, we'd fill it up with a bunch of our friends on a Friday night and stuff. And it was just like exciting to go out and support your friends. And then it's like, I don't know, something, something switches where like, (laughs) as people start getting older, it's like, it's so difficult to get them to, to care about, you know, what you're doing sometimes. Like it's, uh, until you hit like real big, but, uh, so yeah, it's just, yeah. it's a weird, uh, shift and everything where like, uh, Oh, you're still doing that uh, music thing, huh? You know, like mostly <laughs> on the, that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, so that, that kind of, uh, that's kind of a bummer, but I does, it is cool when everybody's like super pumped about 
getting out there to see you and you know like so um but yeah i I miss uh i missed out i never never had a high school band never never played an instrument never got to go to mississippi nights but it's fun to hear all these uh rock and roll stories for sure yeah yeah so that was yeah it was the the band that uh, opened for the urge was that La Push or was that a different no no it was a no. band called Mid Midlife, Midlife which is a really great band name yeah for a high school kids <laughs> right? in high school <laughs> um, but my brother was in the band with me and he and I uh, formed La Push yeah um, but there were a few bands in between that high school band and La Push but with the high school band. I mean, I, you know, I always took music seriously. So, you know, when I, when I had that band together, we were going to get a record deal and we were going to go on tour. And that was, that was what, that, that was the goal. Like I was always serious about it from the very beginning. Yeah. And, um, that band, we did okay around St. Louis and then, um, we drove all the way to New York and played the CMJ festival up there. Um, and so we kind of got out of St. Louis a little bit. And again, we were, we were just teenagers. Um, we had no idea what we were doing, but just hopping in a car and, you know, I mean, it's not down, not even like we had a van or a trailer or any sort of proper touring thing. It was just like pack everything in a car, drive to New York. And we played CMJ. Um, we met, well, my brother met Courtney Love in a shoe store. Yeah. I think we were somewhere in the, in the East Village. And, you know, it was just, it was incredible. You know, it was just, it was the greatest experience. And that, so we never, we, the, the band, I mean, we never signed a record deal or anything like that. But we had all these experiences of opening for bigger bands, kind of playing outside of our hometown, meeting some people. We ended up signing with actually the uh, we signed with Peter Carson, who managed Pale Divine, and um, that for me kind of opened a doorway into all of these other avenues. Where I started doing guitar work for him for out of the studio in his house, and um, that turned into these other gigs playing with other bands outside of St. Louis. Um, and then midlife ended up just sort of going away. Um, and then, um, but my brother and I always carried on writing and recording music. Right. Yeah. Um, but so after, after midlife, I went to college. Um, but while I was in college, I was doing sessions for Peter. Um, and then he ended up putting me in touch with a group from England, a band called Phono. And then I started playing guitar for them. Um, and that was the first time I was playing in a signed band and, I mean, we were touring all over the world and I've jumped ahead. I mean, I'm 22 at this point. Right. What, uh, so when was, did you ever have a, like a, uh, a real job or has music pretty much been your job since you were in high school? No, that's, that's it. I, I mean, mean, I worked I mean, not, at, um, not that music's not a real job. I'm sorry, not to phrase it like no, that. I, I, I mean, mean I, I know, what you, I yeah. know what you mean though. Right. Um, no, I mean, I, uh, so I worked at, do you, there was a, 
great guitar store in St. Charles called the St. Charles Guitar Exchange. Yeah. And I worked, I worked there. Um, uh, I started working there when I was really young. Um, you know, I was probably maybe 18, 19 years old teaching guitar lessons. And then I'd worked a sales floor. Um, and that it, it didn't, that did not, it didn't seem like a job, right? you know? And so all the bands, like all the big bands that would come through, that's the guitar store that they would go to. So everybody, I mean, Rolling Stones, U2, REM, all these bands bought guitars from the store. Oh, wow. And, and so I, I got to meet a bunch of really cool people. Um, the owner of the store uh, one time sold a, a vintage bass um, to Mike Mills from REM. And um, REM were touring on the Monster Tour. And Radiohead were opening because Radiohead, the Benz was the album at the time. And the owner, Dan, knew I was a huge REM fan and, and they're playing out at Riverport. And he said, you want to deliver this bass to REM and gave me the instructions to drive around backstage. And so I said, yeah, I mean, this is, I can't believe this. This is incredible. So I, I drive over there and I'm, you know, walking backstage. I tell the people who I am, they send me through and they said, well, the band's on stage sound check and you could just go up and hang out while they finish. So I sat on a road case on Peter Buck's side of the stage and there's REM having their sound check. And Michael Stipe is just walking around. The band is playing. He's not singing. And he looks over at me and, and I mean, it's probably obvious that I'm, I'm out of place. I mean, my, my jaw is probably on the floor. <laughs> right. And um, he walks over to me and introduces himself. He says, hi, my name's Michael. I said, hi, I'm Tom. And he sat on the road case next to me and Michael Stipe and me watched REM sound check. So, so that, I mean, that was, you know, that was my job all the way through college. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I, when I began touring with Phono, um, I would just come back and work shifts at that job. So in between runs, um, but yeah, I mean, music has been, uh, that's been, it's, it, that's been everything. Yeah. It's been how, I mean, it's all I've ever wanted to do. I mean, when I first picked up a guitar, I, it, I just knew instantly. Yeah. I just, there was no, there. I was just thinking like, I mean, that's just, uh, really cool to hear, uh, as a, as a fan and just as, you know, enjoying what you, what you guys are doing because to hear that you knew that young like and decided like this i'm gonna make this my life like you know and 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 it's paid off you know like it's so uh it's just i don't know that i just find that really cool like because i i'm <laughs> i'm uh you know i'm pushing 40 and i'm still trying to figure out what i want to do with my life so uh but you know to know like that, that young that uh that did you know catch the uh the bug, I guess the itch, you know, that for make this, uh, music your life. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, and it, so it, I mean, I was really young when I got, I, I was 12 years old when I got an electric guitar. I mean, I had a guitar when I was maybe three or four years old, like a little toy plastic guitar. Um, but I mean, I wasn't playing it. I was just sort of banging around on it. But when I was 12, all of my friends, um, were skaters and, 
I wanted to skateboard. Um, and that's all we would do is just, you know, go to the park, um, listen to punk rock music. And my friends would ride around on skateboards. And so I wanted to skateboard. And I remember going to the skateboard shops with my mom and looking at the boards, looking at the trucks and the wheels, and you could kind of customize everything. And she was, she had a lot of anxiety about me riding around on a skateboard. Yeah. And so she suggested, um, how about a guitar? And I said, instead of a skateboard? And she said, yeah. And I said, sure, why not? You know, and so we just looked at the JCPenney catalog and picked out a guitar. And it's like, I didn't seek it, but it found me. I mean, I, at all of my friends, I didn't have, I didn't have a friend that played an instrument. No one in my family played an instrument, you know? So my whole world was just hanging out in the, in the park. My friends are riding a skateboard. Um, and we're, you know, music was always a big, everybody was into music, but nobody was playing an instrument. Mm-hmm. So, so it was, it was this weird kind of accident. And, um, but the minute I, I put the guitar in my lap, like I'm not exaggerating when I say this, but I, I, I can't remember not being able to play it. You know, the, the minute it was in my lap, I felt like if somebody showed me something, I can play it. Yeah. And, um, I had another friend that lived down the street who played guitar. Um, and he, I mean, he had just started playing um but uh, he showed me the very beginning of johnny be good and that's the first thing that i learned um but i from that point on i just i couldn't get enough of it you know i mean i would sit and i would try to learn songs and i would if i couldn't play it it would make me so angry and i wouldn't leave my room yeah until i could play it. like i remember trying to figure things out on a record i i had no idea what i was doing i didn't know how to tune it I didn't know what the chords were and, you know, I'm trying to figure out what Jimi Hendrix is doing, but I have, I I can't play an A chord, you know, but I just, I just kept sort of fumbling away at it, you know, but I just, I just fell in love with it immediately. I, it never seemed like practice to me. No one ever, my parents didn't have to tell me to practice. Mm -hmm. I would just sit in my room for hours and hours with a guitar in my hands. Um, and I loved it. I mean, it was a little bit of like, um, you kind of, um, it's a little bit of an escape, you know, that the thing happens where time disappears and nothing else is going on around you except what's happening on this record in front of you, right. you know, and then when you're trying to recreate it, I didn't know what a distortion pedal was or a fuzz pedal. And so this harmony guitar plugged into this amp and it was just, um, I mean, the amp would kind of distort because the speaker was really small. Um, but it just, I could like listen to what the Beatles were doing or Jimi Hendrix. Like I had no idea how they reproduced it all, but I was going to try to figure it out. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, there's still like, I just, um, saw uh interview with uh 
Keith Richards talking about, you know, the new Stones record and stuff. And they were bringing up uh, different things like from classic, you know, early songs and stuff. And he was, uh, I think, what was it? Um, I don't remember now which which track it was, but he was talking about everybody thinks it's an electric guitar, but it's actually uh, an acoustic. And oh, street fighting man. Yeah. So there it is. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, I just think that's cool to find out like he, that he shares the secrets that, you know, he, he just, just turned it up and, uh, and, and distorted it and stuff. But, uh, yeah, but uh, it was cool to hear like, um, uh, those kind of stories and about how creating some of our favorite classic rock records and stuff that, so it's, and then picturing you trying to figure it out as a young man. So, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, it was also interesting to hear like uh so i think it was uh satisfaction um he's talking about like he played that original lick uh he wanted he keith said he heard it as a horn arrangement and uh yeah. played it as a guitar part and then like and then that stuck as that became the song and then uh and then i guess otis redding recorded it later and put it in as put it back in as horn parts and yeah, yeah. On his, on his version of it. So I thought that was fun to hear that story too. So well, in satisfaction, that's the riff that he he sort of woke up from his sleep and recorded into into a cassette recorder. Yeah. Um and then fell back asleep and when he woke up the next day and played it back like after the you, you hear the riff, it's just like 40 minutes or so of him just snoring. <laughs> <All right>. uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh but yeah, that was, uh, it's, uh, this stuff's crazy to think about though. Like, you know, just like, but those guys had to get innovative, I guess, you know, in a sense, like at the time, like they, they didn't have all the effects, uh, that we have today, you know, obviously. No. So, so you had to find uh, ways to make that weird noise that you've been trying to, trying to figure out. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's, well, uh, so what's interesting about that is, you know, he heard it as a horn and then obviously it became this iconic guitar riff. And that's kind of has been my experience with music is, you know, as a kid, I was trying to figure out what was happening on these records. And sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong. And then there's a little bit in between, but it's the parts where you get it wrong, where you kind of develop your own, you figure out your own way to play. And then you, you come up with your own sound because you don't have the collection of pedals that they right. have. And at that young, I didn't even know what that was. Right. But so I just sort of, I was, I was by, by not being able to play like Hendrix, but trying attempting to, I ended up, playing like me sure and so by the failure <laughs> creates something new you know and i didn't realize it at the time it's only in hindsight because at the time i'm just i'm so pissed off that i can't <laughs> i can't when i try to play purple haze it doesn't sound anything like what i'm hearing on the record and i have no idea why i don't know what a fender stratocaster is i don't know what a fuzz pedal is you know any i don't know any of that but but that's kind of a neat thing is you just sort of you kind of find your own voice in 
not being successful at sounding like someone else. And then eventually, you know, then I got really addicted to that, you know, really just wanting to sound like me. Yeah. Um, you know, and that made it a lot easier too, because you you could get rid of the frustration of trying to, you know, cause you, you had this goal, you're, you're trying to learn how to play. It's like friends of mine that were riding skateboards. Like they were always working on this new trick, you know, or they'd see someone else do this trick. And so you're just trying over and over and over again to complete the trick. And that's kind of how the guitar was mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. What, uh, when does songwriting enter the picture? I mean, obviously guitar pretty young, but, uh, when do you decide that you'd like to start writing uh, your own songs? Right, right away. Yeah. Um, like right off the bat. So I just immediately, I mean, I was always kind of writing, um, um, it's a little embarrassing to talk about, but I mean, when I was a kid, I used to, um, just sort of imagine myself on this is before i played guitar but i would imagine myself on on a stage um or i'd 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 make up you know bands or draw fake album covers in a notebook you know and so when i had the guitar i i i would start writing lyrics out in a notebook um and especially once someone showed me the basic chords I started taking guitar lessons and once I learned the basic chords, just, you know, C, A minor, G, and just someone said, you can take, you could essentially take three or four chords and write a hundred songs with just these chords. I just started doing all kinds of combinations of those chords and I wasn't doing anything fancy, but just playing through those chords, kind of humming a melody, writing words down in a notebook. And so that was, right from the get-go because again being unsuccessful at I I couldn't make myself sound like Jimi Hendrix and so I just you know I was kind of balancing my time between trying to figure out how to play Hendrix but also sometimes I would just sit and I would play through chord progressions for hours in different combinations different strumming patterns different rhythms um and then just kind of hum a little tune on top yeah um so the guitar and the songs were always there from the beginning um and i think too i mean my dad my dad didn't play any instruments but he had a huge record collection and he was a dj too um so he had a really like on radio or like no, uh, he would DJ weddings and parties. Okay. Um, so he had this really great vinyl collection and his, his favorite sound was Motown. He loved soul music, oh. R&B, but specifically Motown. And so he had um, all the old Motown records. He even had the rec before they were called Motown, you know, Gordy records and Tamla records. And he had some of those titles and he knew a lot about how those records were made, um, how different musicians would be brought in or different songwriters. Um, he would always talk about how, you know, Smokey Robinson was in the miracles, but then he also wrote songs 
for the other artists on Motown. Right. And that was kind of the first time I was sort of learning about all these different roles in music and making records. You had a producer, a songwriter, you had an artist. Um, I mean, it was all just magic to me, yeah. you know, but hearing all these stories. And so Motown, obviously songs are, are the most important thing. So even as of at a very young age, great songs were always playing around the house. I mean, it was Diana Ross and the Supremes, The Temptations, Stevie Wonder, which is nothing but great songs, great beats. Mm -hmm. And so when the guitar came along, it was just the song and the guitar. That was it. Yeah. You know? And then like when, when I got to high school, you would, I would have, uh, friends that play guitar too and there were different kinds of guitar players like there were the guitar players that were wanted to do like almost like the skateboarding trick but like guitar and but it was just like all this sort of flashy stuff and i was drawn to, i was drawn to that too because you're, you're just trying to push yourself and what can i accomplish on the guitar but the song was still just sort of there at the same time you know um so, yeah, it was never like I played guitar for a few years and then I started writing songs. It happened simultaneously. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. That's one thing, uh, like I wish I, I mean, I, I should pl probably uh, hold myself accountable and apply myself and actually do it. But like, uh, it's just, uh, something I, I admire a lot. Uh, songwriting is, is a big part of my life. Um, you know, I love the greats, but also locally, I uh, have a lot of fun, uh, for three years, right up till March of 2020, uh, I was hosting a songwriter showcase with like, uh, kind of the, you know, the, the three writers on stools with guitars doing, uh, the round, yeah. yeah, doing that. And, uh, it was a lot of fun and, uh, you know, so it's just like something I'm really passionate about as a as a fan and listening to music. And uh, but I I often wish I would be able to you know channel <clears throat> that creativity and put it into my own songs. And that's something like I I really like. I don't know. I I keep I feel like there's as much as I talk about it, and I'm like you know that I have this like idea about it. You know, I feel like I need to just do it, but I haven't done it so it's like uh uh it's kind of like whenever i do go like I, when i have sat down to try to like write it's just like everybody else's songs because like all i listen to is you know music all day so it's like everybody else's lyrics start coming out so yeah yeah so it's kind of hard for me to shut off that and and actually write my the my original thoughts i guess so um but that's uh i don't know i i, I would that's definitely a goal of mine someday like it'd be fun to it's like a bucket list i guess for me for like having somebody write or write a song and have somebody record it for me someday or something yeah. like that so See well i mean even but so what's interesting about the podcast is i mean i'll you know whether it's a book or a song i mean it's all just telling stories. And right. so the pod, the pod, you're, you're just telling stories that the podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely it just is a different format. Yeah, for sure. I get that. Yeah. Uh, and I love being creative with this. I love doing the show. It allows me to, you know, uh, but you know, having share, be able to share other people's stories and 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just fun to get creative in different mediums. And that's, uh, that's one I haven't, mm-hmm. haven't got into yet, but that's uh, definitely a goal of mine. So, um, but, uh, you mentioning, uh, the book and, uh, maybe that's a good time to plug it in. Uh, we, so songwriting's always been there, but, uh, yeah, the, you, you've recently kind of shifted gears, uh, and you wrote, uh, a novel and we yes. got a, we got a, a big, uh, signing, uh, and everything happening here locally in mm-hmm. St. Charles, Missouri. And, um, so let's talk about how this, like, where does the idea even start to, you know, hey, I've been doing music, all this stuff. Like, I, I want to write mm-hmm. a book now. Like, tell me, take me back to that conversation with yourself. And well, I mean, I um, just going back to you know the notebook where I would write band names and album covers and song lyrics. And I used to write little stories when I was a kid too. And so I've always been fascinated by just thinking of stories, thinking of characters. Um, when I got to college, I majored in music, but I, I sort of was sort of thinking about being an English major, you know, and I thought um, I had read somewhere that um, Sting taught English. I mean, before he was Sting. And I thought, well, that's um, that would be an interesting life. You know, I, I love books. I love reading. I love telling stories. And so um, but I was already. I was already into the music program at Lindenwood and um, I sort of felt like I didn't, I didn't want to start over again. So I abandoned the idea, but I was working on a novel at the time and it was sort of a really terrible plagiarized version of the catcher in the rye. And, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I had this sort of Holden Caulfield like character and, and of course I was at the right age for, you know, just thinking a lot about, I mean, I was a teenager and just, you know, kind of had this idea for this sort of kind of angsty coming of age character based on Holden Caulfield. But it was, it, I mean, it was, I was just retelling that same story. Um, and so I, I just abandoned it, um, which was a good thing, but like that was the first attempt at it. And then over the years of writing songs, I mean, a lot of, a lot of times I'll write longer pieces and then that's what I'll pull song lyrics from. Um, but the tricky thing about song lyrics is you have, you have a vocal melody to fit them to. And so you only have so many syllables to work with. And so, you know, that's the difficult part of it is trying to tell a story with, only you know maybe you have a vocal melody that only has four syllables mm-hmm. so what can i say um i mean that limitation in itself creates a, a unique way of being able to say things um but the longer form has always kind of been there sort of nagging at me and then when covid happens uh, the whole music industry shut down well the whole world shut down right obviously But with music, it requires performing live in front of buildings with large groups of people. So obviously that was not going to happen anymore. And so everything shut down and, you know, we weren't touring um, or doing sessions or, I mean, just work was just 
everything was, there was just nothing. Um, and, you know, in those early days, you know, people were, you know, we were all just trying to figure out what to do. You know, people were getting on Instagram and baking bread or, you know, or, you know, there were people like, you know, reading to kids and, you know, people were, were trying all of these interesting ways of coping right. with the world shutting down. Um, so I would go into this room that I'm in, which is where I, I write and record primarily. And um, I had this idea of just these characters. I just had these characters bouncing around my head. And I just started with a couple of character names and how one character would re be related to another character. So I would, I would write. So Maggie Franklin is the protagonist in this book. And so I had Maggie Franklin and she is dating Liam Harrison. Um, originally in the book, Liam played in a band with his brother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's not how the book ended up, but that's where it started. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right. Hey, write what you know, and, right? And, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so it just started like connecting these little threads, connecting characters. And the next thing I knew, I had the page of like 20 characters, and I had all these lines drawn for how they were all related to each other. And then a story just began to unfold. I mean, there I didn't plan anything out. I didn't have a plot. I didn't know where it was going. I didn't know what it was going to be about. Um, or I thought. I thought, you know, I, I have to be, th this has to be wrong. There's no way this is how people write a book, like not knowing what they're doing or not knowing what they're doing, but not knowing what the story's about. And then I read um, uh, Stephen King's book on writing and he talks about how he, he doesn't write plots and he, he sort of doesn't like the idea of plot. You know, you think of, plot i mean a plot can be a noun so it's you know what a story is about but it can be a verb too like i've plotted this i've planned this out right and he sort of he equated it to like being a scientist digging up a fossil and you just you find one bone and then you keep digging and then you find another bone and then you put those bones together and then the story sort of reveals itself to you and that's how this book was for me i would just go in and i would write every day i had myself on a schedule and i would write every single day you know i was maybe writing a thousand words or so a day and it's like i couldn't wait to get back to my desk the next day to figure out like i was writing the book but it was almost like a reader where every day i would go back in and I can't wait to see what happens next, even yeah. though I'm the one that's writing it, but I didn't know what was going to happen next until I got in there and started writing. Um, and it was exciting. It had the same kind of time stop that happens when you're writing a song or making a record, you know, that same thing that happens to me with the guitar and with music was happening to me writing this book. And I just kept going. I didn't know, where it was going. I didn't know how long it was going to be. I just, just sort of like, it's like I knew, I mean, I knew when it ended, obviously, but I didn't know I was writing a book. I certainly didn't know I was writing a novel. I was just connecting characters and then the story started unfolding and I just kept going and going and going. I mean, I, 
to tell you how much I didn't know what I was doing, I, I started the book using Google. Um, most people that write books write on Microsoft Word. Yeah. You know, but I was using whatever the Google, the Word program is in Google, um, Google Docs. And I think I got about 20,000 words into the book. And every day it's like, it just is like, it would take forever to load, mm. you know? Yeah. And I thought, okay, this, so then I just copied and pasted it all into Apple pages. And then I, I thought I'm going to Google and figure out like what program, because I mean, growing up around music, I don't, I didn't work with office programs and, right. you know, I mean, I know pro tools, you know, and I know logic, Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, I'm old. So when I was in college, <laughs> you know, I was using a, like a word processor. Yeah. You know, so if you're writing a report or an essay, it's a digital word processor. So from college, then after that, I went on tour. And so there was nothing in between of like, you know, hey, this is Microsoft Word or this is, I mean, I had heard of them. I knew what they were, but I didn't use them. So that made things a, a lot easier when I, when I was, you know, actually using a program that could handle the word load. Um, yeah. But it was exciting too, just the, the fact that I, I was just telling a story. I wasn't thinking about how it was supposed to be done or whether or not I was doing it the right way. It was only after I finished where I thought there's no way this, this is how it could be done. Um, but yeah. I know I mean, people write all different ways. There are people who plot it out, you know, and, and they, they, they know exactly where they're going to go, how the story's going to end. Um, so, I mean, it's just like making a record. There's, there's no one way to do it. Um, and I think having made records like that, doing a sort of a, a, a long form creative project, I was already accustomed to that, you know, like committing to something for a long period of time was already something that I was comfortable with. So, you know, some records you make fast. But other records, I mean, you know, sometimes they, they take months. I mean, this book took several years to write, but. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, the book is titled The Twin Affair. Yes. And uh, no, Saturday, November 18th, you will be at uh, Main Street Bookstore, right? In St. Charles, yeah, Missouri. St. Charles. Yeah. From one um, to three. Um, and. Uh, is it, is it uh, just a signing or are you, are you going to do any kind of a reading or anything or anything? Else I mean, I, I hope, I hope to do a reading. Um, I typically, the way this particular bookstore operates is they, I think because the space is limited, they, they typically just do signings, but I'm, I'm certainly hoping to, to talk about it a little bit. Um, and I'd like to read a couple of things because one of the, um, I guess themes of the book is identity and sort of um, who we are now versus the people we used to be, you know, and how much of our former selves are still kind of walking around with us. Like how much of me as a kid in St. Charles is still somewhere 
inside of me. So coming back to St. Charles and and doing an event at this bookstore is um, kind of a full circle thing for for a lot of what the book is about. Um, so I, I'm hoping to get to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, sounds cool, man. I'm uh, I'm excited about it. I'm I'm gonna try to be there and uh, support and get my copy. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. Uh, I haven't I haven't done a whole lot of uh, book signings, um, but maybe uh, maybe the last one I did I bought. Uh, I'm a big stand uh, stand up comedy fan also and uh i bought jim gaffigan's book uh dad, oh, cool. dad is fat and uh <laughs> and he uh i forget the little he did like a little q a kind of thing with uh somebody at this little th- like theater and um and uh it was just a really cool experience getting to sit there and listen to him talk about it a little bit and and then he signed uh our books for us and so um but yeah, so I don't, like I said, I'm not, uh, it's not something I do a whole lot, but it's fun whenever you get a chance to, especially meet, you know, meeting the authors that are writing these books and stuff. And so that's going to be a fun day for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Is this uh, now like, do you think this is something, uh, you know, you said it took a couple of years to, to finish it all up and, but is this something you think you're going to continue? I mean, are you already thinking about maybe what uh, the next idea or is this uh I mean, I, I've been, I, I'm writing a lot now. I just, uh, in September, I started uh, writing for American Songwriter, which is a music magazine here in Nashville. Um, and so I'm writing essays for them. I mean, they're all music related, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm writing constantly. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like, it's interesting because the book's called The Twin Affair and there are these sort of parallel stories happening in the book. Right. Where the Maggie Franklin, her the the main character, her boyfriend is a novelist and he writes these Cold War era spy novels. And so this novel that he's written, events that are happening in the novel are also happening in in real life with Maggie as well too. And so thinking about these kind of parallel lines in in a sort of strange way that's kind of how my life has turned out with music and books. Because books are you know telling stories with maybe beginning with the Motown stories with my dad. Right. Um and then writing songs I mean, that's just telling stories. You're just putting it to music. It's like these two, like the book thing has sort of kind of been been there over my shoulder. And then it finally caught up to music. So now I'm, I'm doing both. Right. Um, so it's just kind of, in, but again, just like the book, I mean, I, nothing, I didn't, nothing was, I didn't plan it out. Right. You know, I don't, if the pandemic doesn't happen, I don't, I don't know if I write the book. I don't know if I ever write a book. Um, because I don't know that if I ever would have forced myself to take the time to just stop everything else and just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or if I even could have, but now that I've done it, um, I just fell in love with the process 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm constantly writing these days and, you know, I mean, I'm not thinking about, I'm so focused on this book right now that, you know, um, I don't, I don't know what the future holds for, for sure. another one, but yeah. Um, but I'm definitely writing, writing constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, I think, I mean, I, do you think about too, like other uh, different, I mean, obviously you're already, uh, you said that for the magazine and stuff, but like, um, like as far as like even auto or uh, biographies or any, any other, other forms of writing like that, does that cross your mind? Like, uh, I haven't thought about it. Yeah. Um, I just, because um, like, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously this is being, a, being a novel and stuff like, but I don't know if you would had ever considered other, other formats of, you know, for books and stuff, but, uh, yeah, not really. Like I said, I mean, I, um, well, it, it was always fiction though. I mean, even yeah. when I was younger, when I was, um, ex, you know, trying to write a book in college, it was fiction. Um, so, which is interesting because writing, writing these pieces for the magazine, of course, it's all, it's all, it's nonfiction. And so, you know, I'm writing about different albums or different, different bands, different artists or different kind of um, like I had these pieces that I'm working on right now about Britpop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but not just about the the band or the, the records, but also just a lot of what was going on politically and culturally with all of these scenes, you know, and, um, you know, in England, especially there, like class consciousness is, is a big deal. And, and so this was showing up across how the bands would present themselves, what they were writing about the, the types of audiences that would go to the shows, how they were marketed. Um, so what I, what's neat about music is, you know, you've, obviously a great song or great record is that can be enough, but usually, especially behind really great records, there's usually this really interesting story that's much larger than music. And I think that's why a lot of songs and albums never go away. They're timeless because it doesn't matter what part of the world you live in. It doesn't matter what time period you live in. These are things that, every generation just continues to struggle with. Yeah. It's why a lot of stories that we tell are the same stories over and over again, you know, because we keep, you know, whether it's struggling to pay your bills or raise a family. um, And then in, of course, in dire consequences, there's conflict and war and um, political adversity but all of these things that we just keep telling these same stories over and over again. And, and the songs and the albums that really connect with people, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be from England in the 1990s to be able to feel something powerful happening in some of these records. You know, I think if you listen to bittersweet symphony and what Richard Ashcroft is singing about, I don't, you don't have to, that's not a nineties sentiment you know i mean maybe the 
the nineties part, maybe when he talks about the radio and I don't know how much, you know, kids don't listen to the radio anymore, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's still, it's still, the radio could be just culture, right? You know, the airwaves are clean and nobody's singing to me now, you know, it's just the sort of kind of pushing back uh, on kind of commercialism and marketing and just whatever is constantly being shoved down our throats. I mean, in this day and age, you get on the phone, you get on your phone and you can't go anywhere or look at any website without just hundreds of blinking ads, you know, um, you can't get away from it. And so I think those, those sentiments are just, they're just timeless. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking, uh, you mentioning, uh, bitter bittersweet symphony and um i saw a thing recently with uh is it brandon from the verb pipe right uh yeah but that uh the the freshman right that song yeah uh he was talking about like people always like get their bands mixed up and like that um and he's you know asking him about writing that song he's like and he says that he you know it's like uh a lot of times he got tired of correcting people that he didn't write the song and he started taking like, yeah, that was a good one. I, you know, that he, like he wrote it and stuff. And I, it just made me laugh, like thinking about that. I, you know, like that, uh, <laughs> that people just still, uh, all these years later have, can't, can't tell the difference between, uh, the verb and the verb pipe. So. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, I was, it was on like TikTok or something. It just made me laugh. Okay. Like, and like, he's like, He's having a lot of fun with it. Like there's people like doing karaoke of the song, like the freshman and like, he's like sitting in the bar and stuff like it, just stuff like that. This make you know, it just kind of makes me laugh to that. They're not even really aware of him at all. Yeah. Yeah. The, the guy wrote the song is sitting right there. And yeah. So, um, but, uh, anyway, but yeah, man, that's, uh, I, I think that's kind of, uh, the thing, like, you know, obviously we celebrate a lot of these, uh, uh great writers and that you know like you said these themes keep coming back around and um and you actually uh you work with uh one of those guys that i feel like is one of the greats uh uh one of the most prolific writers i feel like of the you know last several years for sure you know like uh but will hogue has become one of my favorites i've been i'm i saw him in um 2000 10 i think it was uh and uh, i think i met him at the he went on tour with shine down on their acoustic tour and i think that's the the night we first met so um but since then i've been able to see him in a bunch of different rooms and uh and i'm just a super fan and i you well you've been torn with will for like uh, the last eight years or so right something like that about six and a half years. Oh, six and a half years. Well, I mean, so beginning in 2017. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I met Will in 2007, and or 2008. So the push had just split up, and I had a friend that was a mutual friend with his manager, and um, he said Will was looking for a new guitarist to tour. Um, so I, I drove to Nashville. I was still living in St. Louis at the time. I drove down to Nashville and met Will auditioned 
and got the gig. And then I got back to St. Louis and we had a couple of phone calls just sort of plotting out. Um, he was getting ready to make a record. And the, the record, it would be the wreckage. Is It wasn't titled at the time, but that's the record that it would end up being. Right. And he said, I guess Bruce Springsteen was going to be involved on the album. And he invited me down to play on a couple of songs. And then he wanted, you know, talk to me about being the guitar player for the tour. And then after a few phone calls, like I just stopped hearing from him. And I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, and then my wife read that he was in a motorcycle or he was in an accident. Uh, I mean, he almost died. Yeah. Um, and, um, I mean, and so, um, yeah, I mean, he, he was in really, I mean, it was just a really terrible situation. He, um, his oldest son was just a little guy at the time. And it was just a really, really bad situation. Um, but thankfully he, he pulled through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it was, you know, maybe a, a year and a half or two years later, um, he called back and at that time I couldn't do it. I was already working on my first solo album and just was busy working on other things. So, you know, that's like 2009, I think at this point. And then I moved to Nashville in 2010. And then in, at the end of 2016, he reached out to me on Twitter of all places. And, um, said that he was making a new record. He, did, he didn't know I was living in Nashville because we never ran into each other down here. And said he was making a new record and he wanted to put together a new band for the record. And he had this idea of wanting to bring in a guitar player that didn't come from the country world or the Americana world. And he was sort of talking about kind of Nels Klein's role in Wilco. He sort of had this kind of outsider musician within the band that has a a very you know that has a sound sort of in that kind of americana world um not that wilco wilco don't don't really sound like that anymore but i mean the early stuff was sort of kind of came out of that with uncle tupelo yeah so yeah um he brought me in and the, the the whole band were like all these crazy musicians here in nashville like some of the like the best players on the planet so like uh dominic john davis who plays with jack white on bass fats kaplan who also plays with jack white and then played with john prine on pedal steel fiddle and fiddle um jerry rowe who it seems every year is wins the best drummer in Nashville. I mean, he plays on everybody's records. He's right. just an unbelievable drummer. Um, a guitar, another guitar player named Brad Rice, who had played with Ryan Adams, um, like sort of um, Heartbreaker and Gold era, like Ryan's first two solo albums. So all these just really incredible musicians. Shell Crow's on that record. Um, Brendan Benson from the Raycon Tours is on that record. Yeah. So I was 
I mean, I was super intimidated and I couldn't sleep the night before. I mean, I, I was so nervous <laughs> and, you know, I told my wife, I said, they're, they're probably going to send me home after 30 minutes, you know, like this, this, <laughs> we got to get this guy out of here, but it ended up, it, it ended up going really well. Nat, that album was anchors, yeah, which came out in 2017 and it's a really, really great record. Um, I'm, I'm really proud to have been a part of it. Um, so then we, after that album was finished, that was in, we recorded that in January of 2017. And then he had a few shows on the books. And, um, so I went out and did a handful of shows with him. And then I eventually, you know, he put together a new touring band. And so from 2017, I just did my last run of shows with him just this past July. Um, so yeah, it was about, six and a half years obviously the pandemic is in the middle of all that so for right. that year we didn't i mean we did a few studio things but we we weren't touring um in 2020 yeah um but yeah it's been incredible i mean i've done four albums with will um and then i've done a handful of records for other artists that he's produced that he's brought his band in on um toured all over the world with him um, yeah, it's been a really, um, it was a really great experience. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, um, uh, I don't know. I, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm a giant fan. I, I really, uh, he, he had me hooked at the beginning with, uh, I mean, I liked the, the songs a lot, but, uh, a line stood out that, uh, I met him at the merch table and, uh, he goes, uh, I was I went to go support and buy a record and he goes, uh, yeah, the CDs are uh, one for 10 or two for 20. So, and I was like, and, <laughs> and it was like, just that, uh, the sense of humor about it all. Like he just, yeah. uh, a very quick wit. And, um, yeah. And that's what I always loved about his shows is like, it's heck half comedy almost like he's, uh, his, the storytelling in there and mixed with comedy and the great music. And it's just yeah very entertaining and, um but yeah a lot of fun for sure yeah, yeah so i can i can imagine uh you know being being on the road and you know being a part of that it'd be a lot of fun it was it was definitely yeah so you uh you but uh through all that time uh and a lot of this uh we we haven't uh mentioned yet but uh you've been writing your you write and record your own music you to mention yeah. you alluded to the uh working on your solo record and mm -hmm. uh what uh there's five five solo mm -hmm. albums mm -hmm. yeah and in uh april of this year you released a brand new single and uh let's uh you um over the sky Nothing anyone had to get Look, it changed, did it change Did it change, did it change So tell me, are you hurt? Can you speak? Can you walk? You sleep on your side When your mind's on fire, on fire I'm not gonna leave you Out of fear, ain't that clear Love won't change, it won't change It won't change, it won't change Love won't change, it won't change It won't change, it won't change Talk 
It's not dark, it's not dark yet. This new spark in whispering song It's not dark, it's not dark yet. This new spark in whispering song now readily available on all your streaming platforms. Uh, yeah. But uh, currently just a, a standalone single, right? Yeah. Cause I put out the last album I put out was timekeeper. Right. Which uh, was released in 2021. Um, and then, um, and that was a little bit more, I mean, more of an acoustic album. Um, and uh, then over the sky came out in April. Um, but I have a, I mean, I'm constantly writing and recording. I'm actually, um, I've been playing around with the Timekeeper album and I found some alternate takes of that album. So at some point I have a rework for reworked version of that, that I'm going to be putting out. Um, but, but I also have a new band that I'm working on, um, called Telex Telex and we've yeah. just finished a four song EP. So musically, that's the thing that I'm focused on the most right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Telex, Telex is, uh, kind of goes back to the early days a little bit too, right? Uh, you, uh, yeah, La Push. yeah. So you're, you're joining, uh, Casey who was in the, uh, founding lineup of La Push. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how this, uh, well, how this come well, about? Well, so, I mean, Casey, Casey was in the, in La Push in the earliest days, like, 2003 2004 yeah um and i mean she was just she was just a kid at the time and i think we were we hadn't signed our record deal yet but things were getting pretty serious so um she ended up not carrying on with us but in the in the band she was playing keyboards and singing backing vocals 
And I don't know if you've ever heard Casey sing, but the fact that she was the backing singer on that band was is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. She I mean, she's just incredible. And and I've always wanted to do something else with her over the years, but it just, you know, everybody's busy and it just never happened. And I was I was working on a new batch of what I thought were going to be solo songs. And I wanted to bring in um a a female vocalist to sing on some of these songs. And I was I was just looking around and thinking about people that I knew in Nashville and um sort of had this sound in my head, but I I couldn't I didn't know of anyone that that really had that sound. And then my wife suggested, well what about Casey? And well that's a really good idea. And I went to her SoundCloud page and she just had these little rough demos up on her SoundCloud. And it was just the, the music, the ideas were just really incredible. And so I reached out to her. And again, it was just going to be her singing on some of my songs. But when she recorded the first one and sent it back to me, it just, it immediately sounded like something. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't, this wasn't going to be my solo project featuring Casey Basil. Like it just, it didn't seem right. And so I, I reached out to her and said, would you, would you want to form a band? And she said, yeah. And I said, I think it should just be the two of us. It should just be a duo. And so we just started writing and recording and just passing files back and forth to each other. Um, and I, it's, it's really good. I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. So we have a four song EP that's finished and hopefully in the very near future, we're going to put the first song out um, and um, hopefully start playing live. And um, yeah. yeah I'm, what what I'm kind of very kind excited of, about it? What kind of uh, sounds do you think we like? What do you, do you have a, a certain vein uh, that of music uh, that you're pursuing or is it just uh whatever happens, happens kind of thing? Like it's a little bit of, of whatever happens, happens. I mean, the, the thing about, and it was this way with La Push, the thing about a, a having a band is, is almost because it's the collection of people, it, it almost has a sound inherent right in the group, you know? So like in La Push, we didn't really, I mean, we, we knew what kind of bands we were into, but we didn't really sit around. My brother and I didn't sit around and say like, we should, we should sound like this. Yeah. Like we knew the records we really loved. And of course it's going to be kind of a, a result of those influences. But when all of us got together in a room, it just, it just had its own sound to it. And, and that's kind of how it is with Casey and I, I mean, there's, you know, there, there's, there are a lot of guitars, but then there's some electronic aspects, but then there's some sort of older kind of almost Phil Spector influences. Um, but I mean, I guess it's, it's rock, it's indie rock. I guess, yeah. you know, if you had to put a name to it, right. Um, but, um, it can kind of be out, you know, I mean, sometimes she'll write something on the piano or I'll write something on acoustic guitar or I'll just start with a beat or a sound. I mean, it, it kind of happens. It kind of comes from every direction. But mm -hmm. as soon as the two of us start 
like as the thing starts forming and the two of us keep adding stuff to it, it just, it just sounds like us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's some of my favorite stuff, man. That's my favorite. Uh, yeah. I like groups that, uh, you know, it's going back to Will. It's probably one of my favorite things about him is that he's made rock and roll records. He's made country records, Americana. Like, I mean, like he's got a lot of different uh, styles of, and it's all, I think he even said one time at one of the shows, like what people ask what kind of music he plays, says he plays Will Hogue music. And that's, uh, yeah. And that's, yeah. What I, that's why I always loved that line. Like it was, you know, it's just, uh, it just happens to be this one kind of leans this way, but does make it. We're not, a, we might not be a, you know, a rock band or whatever, or, yeah. you know, we're just making music. So and I think that's uh, what's fun about it. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, even if you pull from an older sound, like, at a James or, you know, just talking about Phil Spector, it's not, it doesn't really sound like Phil Spector, right. you know, but like, I mean, you can kind of, you could sort of draw the line. Um, you put your own, own lens on everything. So it's kind of, yeah. it's coming through your own. Um, but yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm here. I'd be uh, fun to hear some, some new music and uh, hopefully we'll be hearing that soon. Should be soon. And, yeah. And maybe some shows coming soon. So. Definitely. And I imagine we'll, we'll begin in St. Louis, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and you can find, uh, we, I know the socials popped up the other day. We got the, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you can get plugged in on the, the all the usual spaces, uh, your your Facebook and Instagram, right? And I think, yeah, uh, yeah. I think there's a, just, band, a band camp placeholder ready to go for you when you, when it goes. Yeah. There. For Telex Telex. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all the, um, all the, the social media, handles are are we are telex telex i think that's the um that's what they're called but if you yeah. follow if you follow me i'm going to be talking about it so sure. I'll, you know you can get there through my instagram yeah yeah you can uh, uh, get plugged in with tom on on the socials as well and uh find out more about uh the book guys uh, you think uh you know do you think the book uh you'll be doing more you're trying to do more signings too with this also yeah. like you're trying to get out. Yeah. would like to, um, I mean, we'll do, we did a, a private event in Nashville the week before the book came out. Um, but we're working on a public event in Nashville, um, and maybe a few other cities too. Um, yeah. so yeah, I want to get out as much as I can. Um, yeah. and it's available. I mean, it's available at all of, um, any indie store. Um, and if they, if the, if the indie store in your city doesn't have the book on its shelves, they can order it for you. And I don't know if you're familiar with this website, but, um, there's, a. actually, I'm going to make sure I have the right, the right name. Um, if you go to bookshop.org, do you know that website? I'm not familiar enough. Okay. So think of it like Amazon or Barnes and Noble, but it's for indie bookstores. Okay. So you can order online at bookshop.org and like whatever city you live in, like if you were in St. Louis and you wanted to order from left bank books, I mean, obviously you could just go to their website and order from them. Um, but you could also do it through bookshop.org and it's Mm -hmm. a way where you can support indie bookstores, or even if you don't even know what your indie bookstore is, but you just want to support it, you can plug in your city 
and it'll give you a list of of stores. You could just order it right there. So it's like the Amazon of the indie shops, yeah, um, which is pretty cool. But it's at um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the big places too. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've done a little bit of that is, with this uh, is the book here. Yeah, I've done a little bit of that yeah. with uh, records. Like uh, it's nice when you can, uh, you know, you order an, uh, a vinyl, and it'll tell you like you can you can order it from Vintage Vinyl or Euclid or whatever. You know the all the different. Yeah. Uh, so that's always uh neat to be able to directly support your independent record stores here and stuff or bookstores. And, you know, yeah. that's the way, you, that's the way you should be. You should get out and support them, keeping them alive. Well, it's, it's great because then you have, I mean, even just like the event that we're doing in St. Charles, you know, the, those indie stores are doing things like that. Right. And it's just a great way to, um, not just to meet the author, but even just bringing a community of, of readers together. Um, and typically the people running those bookstores tend to be really helpful. I mean, it's just like, the, it's like the person at the record store where, you know, you could go in and even if you, you're not really sure what you're looking for, you know, you can get some sort of recommendation from someone that, that you trust. Um, and so, you know, I love, I mean, I love a bookstore. I could spend hours in a bookstore. We have a really great, one here in Nashville at Parnassus called Parnassus. Um, and, um, yeah. So if you can support an indie bookstore, it's always helpful. Um, but I mean, also I understand the ease of Amazon and Barnes and Noble and just like I understand the ease of going to Spotify and pressing play. And so, you know, for me, you know, I just hope people check the book out. And so, you know, however people want to, um, want to get it, I'm okay with. You ever, you do, uh, you ever think about doing like a audiobook version of it, reading, reading it? In a well, I mean, I haven't done an audiobook for this. I, I thought about it. I don't know if I will or not. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I can do it in the studio, but I mean, that seems like a massive project, yeah. you know, All right. um, I just heard, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> talking about reading his book. Uh, yeah. and like, he's talking about how he, uh, it, how difficult it was just because it's, you know, it's, it's not always how you speak, uh, well, you know, you, you, as it's written. And so he's like trying to read it and, you know, and it's just like, it, so it was funny hearing him, like, especially with the, uh, you know, his accent and stuff, just hearing him like get frustrated with himself, like, you know, reading these words and stuff. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I can imagine that'd be, uh, quite the process trying to, trying to, especially doing your own book and stuff like, yeah. Yeah. uh, I think I'd almost rather have somebody else. Yeah. Do the reading Morgan Freeman, Um, maybe. Well, the other thing is, you know, the, the main character, Maggie's a female. And so I, you know, I almost think, I almost think a woman should read the story. Yeah. All right. You know, because so much of it is from her perspective. Um, and I mean, I'm not trying to skirt the work, you know, I'm not trying to get out of the work, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, if you, if you had a, uh, 
you know, just a dream. Uh, who would you like to hear reading it? Who do you think would be a good? Oh. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have right. to think about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, it'd be kind of fun, you know, something, another, another thing to, to continue to promote this book and stuff. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think I don't, I've never, I haven't really got into that, but I know like, just like podcasting that audible and, and a lot, you know, there's a big market in, in these, uh, audio books and stuff too. So. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, um, Oh, you know, you know what? I do know of someone. You got one. Yes. Emma stone. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking of, um, she's in that movie with Ryan Gosling, uh, La La Land. Yeah. Um, yeah. Emma stone. Nice. Yeah. Um, I think that, she should read it. Yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll yeah. tag, I'll tag her when I post this and we'll see, we'll see if she's available. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, uh, what about if they want to like a personalized copy? Do you, are you, uh, signing other than, uh, yeah. the event? Do you, are you, you selling them through the website or anything like that where we can get a personalized copy? The uh, personalized copies all, will only be at the events. Right. Um, so, and I mean, you can go to my website and order the book, but it's all coming from a okay. uh, distributor, a store. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to, to get it signed, that's all going to happen at the, at the events. Okay. So um, if, you know, if you're in the St. Louis area, we would love to see you. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, come on out again Saturday, November eighteenth, one to three, Main Street Books, St. Charles, Missouri. Um, yeah, I'm excited about this. It's gonna it's gonna be a fun day. And um, you, uh, uh, what? So when you're coming home, what's uh, do you have like um uh, something you really look forward to, or a spot to eat, or uh, well, a visit? Yeah, the food for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I still do. Um, I'll still order emos right. when I come home. Um, I like Stefanina's too, though. That's oh, good yeah. pizza. Yeah, I worked at Stefanina's. Really good pizza. Yeah. I worked there uh, like probably 18 or something like that. Or yeah. Somewhere around there. So, yeah, we'll do pizza. My son loves emos. So, we'll definitely do that. And we usually go down. Um, my wife and I, after we lived in the central West end, we lived on the Hill. And so we'll always do the Hill. And obviously there's incredible food down there yeah. too. Um, so, and it's just a bunch of stuff that's really bad for you. <laughs> right. um, but we go, <laughs> we go and we do it anyway. Um, uh, Missouri baking company is down on the Hill, which, you know, has some, some, some pretty delicious cookies. Um, um, great sandwiches down there. Yeah. Um, you know, I miss, I miss seeing the Cardinals. I haven't been to a Cardinals game in a long, in years. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I really miss going to a Cardinals game. Um, although they, they were not very good this year. So yeah, maybe I, it was okay that I didn't go this year. Yeah, right. um, uh, I, uh, went to a game, uh, not too long ago. Uh, I forget <clears throat> towards the end of the season there, September or something, but, uh, Lucas Nelson was in town playing at Del Mar Hall. And uh like I don't think Lucas was there, but the rest of the band, Promise of the Real, they all the all the uh all of them uh went to the game and um uh they they put him up on the 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 screen and stuff and I was just like I just thought that was cool that they had the off night in, in town and they went to the Cardinal game. So it was um yeah, you know, just cool to see the other people coming to support the city and stuff that way. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I, you know, obviously growing up in St. Louis, I mean, I love the Cardinals. I watch them on TV all the time. Um, went to the games all the time, went to the old Bush stadium. Um, you know, I mean, saw the Mark McGuire years and of course, Albert and Yachty, um, and then, well, back in the day, I mean, just with Ozzy Smith and Willie McGee, yeah, um, you know, it was just, um, and you know, the Cardinals were always—I mean—have always consistently been a, a competitive team. Um, and I mean, no matter what's going on in the season, I mean, the, the the stadium is always packed. Yeah, so it's just a really fun atmosphere down there. Um, so I, I, I miss it. Yeah, um, I have to get back. Yeah, for sure. What, uh, you mentioned your son, uh, is he, uh, is he getting into music or, uh, well, he loves music. He, yeah. I mean, I, I taught him, I taught him the guitar and we also, we, we mess around in the studio. He likes to make beats. He loves yeah. electronic music. He's a gamer. So, you All know, right. any sort of music that, that is in his gaming world, he's a big fan of. Yeah. Um, but, um, he's an actor. That's his. It's kind of his main thing. Yeah. Um, but he's a great, he's a great storyteller himself. He's always coming up with characters and stories and around the dinner table, we always improvise stories with each other, uh, with Julian and my wife, Madeline. Um, but yeah, he's, a he's, he's fun. Yeah. Super yeah, fun. I, yeah. I just, uh, I didn't know, you know, if he, I think that's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, you can go either way, you know, you never really know how they're going to take to it. If they're going to want to pursue it like dad, or if they want to do their pave their own way. And yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's, it's always great when they find whatever it is that they're passionate about, you know, whether yeah. acting, acting, like you said, or whatever it might be, but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just exciting to, when they start finding their own, whatever the way they want to express themselves that way. Absolutely. Um, it's just amazing to watch, you know, um, I mean, even with acting, because I don't, that's not a world that I come from, but just watching him sort of transform himself into a character is really, it's really just incredible to see, you know, he has this, this kind of, it's just an instinct. I mean, he, 
he takes acting classes too. And, and obviously that's, that's helpful, but, but there's something that is just inside of him. I mean, he has these sort of, I mean, you see it with music too, with different people, like there are certain qualities that you just can't teach. You, you can show someone an instrument, you know, but there's, there, there's, um, there's something to certain musicians like, Oh, okay. I was, talking to someone about this the other day about the guitar is a really instrument to learn how to play. You can learn a guitar quickly, but it's really, really difficult to play the guitar. Well, you know, like the learning curve is quick and you could put a few chords together and you could, you could play some songs and you could get going on it. But to go from that to playing it really well is is really really hard to do and i I don't there's there's an aspect of it that that i don't know is teachable and and he has that with acting you know and it just and i know of course i'm going to be blown away by whatever he does because i'm his dad but (laughs) um it's just really really impressive to watch yeah you know i mean sometimes my wife and i would just look at each other for watching a video of a performance or even when he's right there and like, sometimes we'll tape auditions for him. And, you know, in some of these roles, it's, it's, it's a pretty intense scene and you just, you're watching your child transform just a few feet in front of you. It's just, it's really incredible to watch. Um, yeah. I, uh, you know, I've been thinking about it for a little while. It's been on my mind, but you know, talking about uh, also, I thought about it earlier when you mentioned your dad uh, being a DJ and in music and stuff and supporting you entering music and at a young age and mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, now with uh, this uh, conversation, uh, I just recently saw this comedian, uh, Andrew Scholes. Uh, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with him at all, but no, uh, but he um, he's. He's uh he's doing big things now and um but he uh I just I follow him on Instagram and he posted a video and and uh man it got me right in the feels like it was uh uh he's a New York guy um you know and he um he brought his dad to Madison Square Gardens and it's just the two of them standing in uh center court there and he's uh telling him like uh that uh he says uh that when he started when he started comedy, he said he always had this dream of playing at Madison Square Gardens and headlining. And he said that uh, most of the people that he ever said that to laughed at him and thought that you know blew it blew it off. And and he said, but his dad said, "I'll see you there." And he said, wow. that, and he was like, I said like that meant the world to me that you were there to support me through through this you know these the, the whole process and you believed in me and uh, and then. Uh, and he goes, so I brought you here today to tell you that when my tour comes to New York City, I'm headlining Madison Square Gardens and and uh, I want you to be there. So he's, and uh, so I was just like a super, you know, cool moment to be able to share that with his yeah. dad. And like, and, uh, you know, just like I said, uh, really got, I got a little, I got choked up, man. It was like, it was just, oh, yeah. a, a, it's a beautiful moment, whether, you know, for, if you know his story or not or anything but just like it's just a cool thing to small town you know or not small town but a kid starting off in new york and had the dream and and now he's making it happen and and uh it's incredible 
he uh, sold out uh, Madison Square Gardens in two hours, and they uh, already doing they announced a second show. And I was just wow. like, "That's a it's pretty impressive." It is, but yeah. So hopefully, uh, you know, I just like I w- hopefully that you'll have a a similar uh, you know thing. I don't know if uh, I just think that was really neat to be able to have. You know, I'm like, maybe I'm not a father, but you know, I like. I think about my dad and, you know, got me into, into music the same way, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, listening to his records and things. And so I would, I would, I'm making me want to, you know, I don't know that it's not, not going to be, uh, you know, Madison square gardens level, but I just, I don't know what that moment would be for me, but it'd be cool to, to have that moment with my dad, you know, to pass that on like that. So. Yeah. I mean, I, <clears throat> my, my dad passed away in 2006. Yeah. And, um, you know, so he, he never met my son and, you know, but of course I think about him all the time and, and just different things that now that I'm a father and, and different experiences that I have with, with Julian, I'll think back to, I'll just picture different moments with my dad. And of course, when, when I'm thinking back to being a child, I'm, I'm always looking up at him. Right. You know I mean? You, you look, you look up to your father, but I, you literally look up to them too. And, um, and, 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 you know, I think about different moments with Julian or different moments, you know, that I've had here in Nashville with music. I mean, my dad would have loved to drive down to Nashville. He, he wouldn't have been happy that I moved away from home. Yeah. But I think he would have loved coming down here and and exploring the city. I mean, he loved music. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for him, not just with music, but also telling stories, those those Motown stories, like I don't, I don't know that I'm, I have the life that I have if it wasn't for him, you know, yeah. because that was so... That, that was so impactful at, at a young age, you know, to just be a kid and sitting around and, you know, like music wasn't a passive activity in our house, you know, it wasn't, you don't put a record on and then go do something else while the record plays in the background, the record, that's the activity. Yeah. So we would all sit in front of his stereo system. All the records would be splayed across the floor. And I'm just looking at all the album jackets and of course it's all vinyl. So it's like you are reading all the, the credits and, you know, and just listening. And then he would point out different things in the song, like listen when this vocal happens here or this, this, this the sound of the strings, you know, listening to, I hear symphony by, Diana Ross and the Supremes and listen to the strings on the, on the track. And, um, you know, it was just, it, it was so impactful and, and it just, it changed. He didn't know he was doing that. You know, he loved music right. and loved sharing it with his family. But, but for me, it changed everything. It made me feel something that nothing else nothing else in my life made me feel that way yeah and that that hasn't gone away and even after you know being 
being in the music business for as long as I have, and I haven't lost that, that sort of kind of childlike wonder of music. Like I still get just blown away by a song or a guitar player. I remember um, before the pandemic, um, I was playing guitar for a good friend of mine here in Nashville named Ruby Amonfu, who's also, she sang on my single Shipwreck. And we were in the Dominican Republic playing with John Prine. And I remember sitting on the side of the stage watching him perform. And I just... I, I just, I couldn't believe it's, you know, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing and what I was hearing that these songs, it, this guy is just full of song. Or he yeah. was full of songs and full of stories and being able to just watch that, that close was, I felt like a child again. You know, I was so excited to be there. I was so moved by his music and his songs. And um, it was just an incredible experience. I'm, I'm grateful that I haven't lost that side of it. You know, I'm still curious. I'm, I still pick up my guitar and try to figure out new things or try to find new sounds. And I'm, I'm grateful that that hasn't gone away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, man. I, I, I love this stuff. I love music and I'm always, uh, you know, I love the idea, never knowing what you're going to find. Like, you know, just I, I love going to shows and discovering new artists all the time and get, or grabbing a new record and hit and play and hearing, you know, just going for the ride and like seeing where this uh, record's going to take me. And, um, you know, those kind of things like it's just uh, so very much uh, that same excitement and uh you know curiosity like you're saying about just like the first time i heard these records uh for you know these so still uh still chasing it yeah yeah uh i kind of laughed that's a funny sentence though to me like that you know <laughs> that uh you're saying you're in the dominican dominican republic with john Prine. like it's just uh that's a that's a pretty uh wild thing to think about you know just uh that you know being got to experience that um you know just yeah uh, that that obviously uh you got to you've been able to do a lot of really amazing things uh in your career but just like that's a that's just a uh funny sentence to me to think about like that you know it's just uh that music led you to that point that's a it's pretty wild yeah well and that i mean that sort of yeah i mean it was surreal for yeah, sure for sure you know I mean, it absolutely was. Um, and I mean, the whole festival, I mean, Brandy Carlisle was there, Emmylou Harris, Lucinda Williams, Steve Earle, um, Tyler Childers. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. And then the finale was everybody, um, all the artists that I just mentioned would walk on stage and they would each do a John Prine song. Oh, very cool. And John was just sitting in a chair off the side yeah. of the stage, just watching all these people sing his songs. And uh, Ruby, who I was playing with, did Angel from Montgomery. Oh, nice. And um, yeah, it was just, um, 
it was really, it was really a, a profound experience, you know, and I mean, that's the, so that acoustic album timekeeper, that, that, that whole experience with John inspired timekeeper. Um, and I have a gift from him hanging on the wall over there in the studio. Of, uh, he gave us all this, this bolo tie with his initials on it. And he mm. drove around in a golf court cart with his wife and hand delivered this to all, all the musicians. Yeah. Um, so it was just, he was just, he was such a cool guy, such a sweet man. And, mm. and, but you know, just, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely one of the highlights of, of my music, my life in music for sure. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have a, a moment in mind when like, do you think about, um, the highlight reel, you know, when, of your life, like that, the, your like proudest moment, the music so far, like, is it, uh, you know, or even though, or even the book or any of you, any of your professional career so far? Um, well, I mean, when, when LaPush played on the Carson Daly show, that was, that was a big moment for us. Yeah. You know, because, just being in a like starting in a room with a with a group of friends and writing songs like the idea that you'd go from there to playing on late night a late night show on tv was especially coming out of st louis because i mean we didn't grow up in a place like we didn't grow up in new york city or los angeles or nashville mm -hmm. you know and bands would get signed and and you know but it wasn't such a regular thing, right? you know, because it wasn't like the, you know, you're not living in a music city or an entertainment city. So that was, that was really, I mean, that was a special moment, you know? Um, and, um, and then obviously the John Prine um, moment um, there was another time where I, I played guitar for Ruby, but, and also Brandy Carlisle. And, um, my wife was, was in the crowd at that show. And I told her after I got off stage, like, I felt like I was floating. Like that there are two voices. I've never heard two voices that beautiful in my life. You know, I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing and they're just, they're, they're so they're just beautiful, beautiful voices. So that that's definitely was a highlight too. Yeah. Um, and the book. Yeah. I'm I'm really I'm really proud of this book. The, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Well, um, what? because no one can help you with a book. Right. You know, like in a I'm not saying making a record is easy because it's not, but I mean <laughs> typically you have some people helping you out. Right. You know. Um but I'm, I'm really proud of this book. I think it's a really good story. I think, um, like, you know, thematically there are the themes of identity. It's also looking at sort of how frail democracy is and things that are happening in with authoritarianism and Western governments there's that there's all of that sort of thematic kind of big picture stuff, but then it's also just kind of it's just a really good story too. And I think it's, um, 
you know, there's an international crime scheme. There's a little bit of murder. You know, I think it's, it has, it has, <laughs> it has something for everyone in this, in this book. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to get to my uh, charger. I just got an alert. My laptop's about to die, so I didn't want to. Oh die. no! I didn't want to lose everything, so I'm I'm still listening. I just uh, okay. I apologize. I should have had this already done. No, you. All right, we're back. All right. Uh but yeah, I um Tom, uh this has been incredible, man. I really enjoy this chat. I appreciate you uh being so generous with your time and uh and hanging well, with thank me. Thank you for having me. This of is course, uh, yeah. um you uh again uh you can find the book uh what was the what was the website again the for the ind- independent stores? Well, if you go to my website tomdonovan.com that'll lead you there um yeah all of those yeah. stores are listed i have links to all of those places so bookshop.org um is is where you can order from indie shops and of course just i mean you could also just go into your local indie shop and if they don't have it on the shelves you can order it too um but it's available i mean everywhere that you can buy a book mm-hmm. um and it's on goodreads as well too for for readers that are on Goodreads, um, and um, it always helps to leave comments and and ratings and and all of that stuff. I mean that that's um, especially on a place like Goodreads, it's always very helpful. Yeah. Um, and then and then uh, of course in St. Charles, St. Charles, November eighteenth. Yeah. Main Street Books from one to three. I'll be there. Um, Main Street will be selling the book. I'll be signing the book and um, hopefully talking a little bit about it too. Yeah. Well, very cool. Uh, well, uh, yeah, man, I'm, uh, I appreciate you doing this and uh, hopefully we Thank can you do for having me. Hopefully we can do something again soon. And this was a, uh, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks Tom. Bye everybody. Bye. Goodbye.